Today on Telling the Truth, Stuart Briscoe is continuing a series about thinking clearly in a messed up world. His focus this time is how to think clearly about yourself. And Stuart gets started in just a moment. Your partnership is vital to keep God's word going out all over the world through Telling the Truth. So as thanks for your support today, we'll send you Stuart Briscoe's six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World. Request your copy when you give today and discover how God's Spirit is working within you to renew your mind and transform your life, no matter what's happening around you. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Stuart with Thinking Clearly About Myself. It's today's Telling the Truth. The particular series that we're engaging in at the present time is directed towards the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, in which he says that it is necessary for us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And that's particularly what I want to talk about in this series. Today, I want us to look into Scripture to see if we can discover what it means to have our minds renewed concerning the self. Now, you will notice in Romans chapter 12 and the third verse, the Apostle Paul said this, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, you'll see there, of course, that there's emphasis on thinking of yourself soberly and not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. There's a clear emphasis on thinking about the self. In actual fact, in the original language in which this was written, there's an even stronger emphasis. The word phronine is there twice, hooperphronine once, and sophronine once. So, on four occasions, in a very short verse, there are four emphases on thinking. How we're to think, how we're to think soberly, how we're to avoid hyperthink or thinking more highly than we ought. So let's do a little thinking about the self. You'll notice that in the introduction to the verse, before the apostle gives his very straight from the shoulder instructions, he says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. In other words, this is just not a man giving his opinion. It is not just a forceful personality imposing his personality on other people. No, he says, it is on the basis of the grace given me that I say this to you. Now, what does that mean? Look at verse 6, if you have your Bible before you, and you'll read these words. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So when the Apostle talks about everybody being graced with certain giftings by God, he is saying specifically that he has been graced with a gifting by God. And this particular gracing or this particular gifting is that he has been called to be an Apostle. And it is because he is an Apostle that he is speaking as he does. So the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I happen to be for no other reason than God determined it, a member of the most elite club on earth. I am an apostle. 
I have unique callings, I have unique abilities, I have unique gifting, I have unique authority, and it is on the basis of that that I'm talking to you. Now it sounds as if he's coming across as rather uppity. He gives you the impression of being rather full of his own importance and decidedly arrogant. However, if you check on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 through 10 sometime, you'll see that he elaborates on this thought. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And if you look in the context, you'll see that he describes himself in two startling different ways. He describes himself, as we've already seen, as an apostle, but he also says that Christ in his post-resurrection appearances appeared last of all to me. That is talking about himself, Paul, and he describes himself as an aborted thing or the products of a miscarriage. Now notice that in one particular verse, the Apostle Paul is with one breath describing himself as an apostle, and in another breath, he's describing himself as an aborted thing. The question, of course, that we would ask him today is, uh, Paul, um, how would you uh, uh, regard your own self-image, your sense of self-esteem? Do you have a high self-image, or do you have a low self-image? And the answer, of course, would be uh, yes. Because if in some strange way he is able to regard himself as unpleasant and as unworthy as the products of an abortion or a miscarriage, that is a gross description of yourself, or he describes himself as an apostle. Now notice his explanation. He says it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. In other words, the free volition of God determined that somebody as unpleasant as Saul of Tarsus, as incredibly depraved as he was, should be given the most incredibly dignified position of being an apostle. And that's, of course, what grace is all about. Grace takes the depraved and makes them dignified. Now, I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul, in these opening words, is giving us an evenly balanced view of the self. So a balanced view of the self sees oneself in terms of depravity and sees oneself in terms of dignity. Not only that, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about the fact that because Christ is risen, we too will be raised with him. And when we are raised with him, we will be given a glorious body like unto his body of glory. We will be as uniquely fitted for eternity as we are uniquely fitted for time. We will be as uniquely fitted for heaven and space as we are uniquely equipped for earth at the present time. And that is our destiny in Christ. So an evenly balanced view of the self understands depravity, understands dignity, understands destiny. Now you'll notice the result of all this is that the Apostle Paul says to these people, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and then he gets into his authoritative statement. There is no sense of arrogance here at all. But clearly, there is no sense of apology either. He's not saying, oh, forgive me for saying this, guys. I hate to tell you this, and don't be upset with me. He isn't saying that at all. He said, according to the grace given me, I'm simply telling you what you need to know. 
Here is a person perfectly comfortable and confident in his position with Christ. Do you know what he's got? He's got an evenly balanced view of the self. And I submit to you that that is what we need to be growing towards and living in. You're listening to Telling the Truth with Stuart and Jill Briscoe. Today, Stuart is showing you how to think clearly about yourself and how the new view changes your relationship with God. Stuart will be back with much more in just a moment. But first, here's a note from a listener named Linda. God bless each of you for your faithfulness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Since my husband suffered a stroke, I am no longer able to go to women's Bible studies. So every night, I listen to your messages of hope. Thank you for moments of encouragement and laughter, praying for you, your family, and the entire family at Telling the Truth. Thank you for your kind words and your prayers, Linda. That's the impact your support today can have as you help take the life-changing message of salvation to a broken and hurting world. The truth is that each day, from every corner of the planet, We're reminded that things aren't how they're supposed to be. But the Bible offers hope for this brokenness. And in Stuart Briscoe's insightful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World, he'll help you see how God works in you to transform and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you. You'll dive into Romans 12 to discover how you can respond with wisdom and courage in today's most distressing circumstances. As you sharpen your mind and strengthen your heart through God's truth, you'll discover His grace for navigating the confusion and pitfalls of life in this fallen world. Thinking clearly in a messed up world is our thanks for your gift to help more people experience life through the resources and teachings of telling the truth. So request your copy of Stewart's series when you give today. 1-800-889-5388 That's 1-800-889-5388 or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, let's go back to Stuart on today's Telling the Truth for more of Thinking Clearly About Yourself. Do you believe that according to the grace that God has given you, you are a person of infinite worth? Do you believe that you are intrinsically and innately depraved and need to be forgiven? And by the grace of God, you can be. And do you believe that because of the grace of God, you have an eternal destiny? Because if you can put those three things together, there's a pretty good chance you might be developing an evenly balanced view of the self. But probably we're running ahead of ourselves now because we need to look a little further into this verse and find out how we arrive at that position. Notice again in the third verse of Romans 12. Paul goes on to give us the instructions now. Here's the first part of the instruction. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, in marked contrast to an evenly balanced view of the self, there is the possibility of the overly exalted view of the self. That clearly is what Paul is concerned about here. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't be guilty, literally, of hyperthink about yourself. For instance, one day two of Jesus' disciples came to him 
And they said to him, incredibly, grant us whatever we ask. (laughs) Can you believe that? We're not going to tell you what we want. We want you to promise we can have it before we tell you. You say, oh, fancy them doing that to Jesus. Well, isn't that how some of us pray? God, I haven't bothered you lately for a while, but I'm in a real fix. Fix it. Thank you. Amen. Oh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We come before God and we, we make our expectations known and we assume that he's going to do what we ask when we ask him to do it. Well, it's, it's somewhat arrogant to say the least. This is what we call self-assertiveness. When self-assertiveness takes over to such an extent that I honestly, genuinely believe that I should push myself and my interest with such fervor and such force that other people's interests and concerns and dignity are totally trampled underfoot, that is an overly exalted view of the self. At the other end of the scale, our friend Job. Nice fellow, Job. Good man. Not only a good man, but he knew it as well. Righteous with uh, marked tendencies to self-righteousness. One day, the roof caved in. He lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his business, he lost his home. He lost it. Zilch left. He was in dire circumstances. It's very interesting to see how he reacted. He got some friends who were no help at all. And his basic reaction was this. God, why in the world are you letting this happen to me? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've been. Look around and you'll see what I've achieved. Why is this happening to me? Me, of all people, God. Now, you'll notice the way that he's approaching this thing. He has some feeling that for some reason he should be immune to and exempt from the vicissitudes of life because he is special. No question is special. No question is way above the norm. No question about that he's an unusually good man. But he does not have the freedom to be so impressed with his own abilities that he would assume that he could be immune from the vicissitudes of life. So in the end, he begins to question God. He begins to ask God, why would this happen to me? We know that you may feel that I'm being a bit hard on Job and I'm hardly interpreting the way he's usually interpreted, but the crux of of Job comes right at the end of the book where he has a vision of God, he sees the purposes of God, he sees the sovereignty of God, and he repents and abhors himself. And he realizes that he has fallen into the trap of self-pity because he has got the idea that he deserves better than he's getting and that what is happening to him is not his fault, it's somebody else's responsibility. That's an overly exalted view of the self. Now says the Apostle Paul, According to the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You say, well, what do I do then? Well, the next part of the verse tells us, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, if you're going to evaluate anything, and that's what it means here, sober judgment, it means a soberly evaluated view of the self is appropriate. But if you're going to evaluate anything, you need criteria of evaluation. You're going to measure anything, you need a measure. 
Now, what is the measure whereby I arrive at a sober evaluation of myself? Well, the answer to that is the measure of faith that God has given you. Notice two things here. We are to evaluate the self on the basis of the faith. The faith in the sense of that which we have come to believe. But notice, we have come to believe it because God has granted the possibility to us. So it is the measure of faith that God has given to you. The other side of it is this, that according to the faith, God saw our rebellion, loved us anyway, sent Christ to die for us, that he might redeem us, and he drew us to himself, and he reconciled us to himself. But not only that, I then hear, according to the faith, that the Christ who died for me rose again to live in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that he, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will come into my life and change me from the inside out and equip me to be what I've never been and to do what I never thought I could do. Now, that being the case, I begin to discover the resources that are available to me. That's going to affect how I evaluate myself. Not only that, I understand according to the faith that God has given that there is one day when I will go and enjoy the full products of life eternal and I shall be transformed into the image of Christ. And that's where I'm heading. So guess what? I've got some standards of measurement now. But how are they going to work out? Just supposing I understand these things are given. Just suppose I accept the bases of the faith. Well, how about low self-image? I know that many of you have had horrendous childhoods. I know you're products of dysfunctional families. I mean, grossly dysfunctional families. I know that you've been abused, some of you. I know that you are told you are no good from the very beginning, and you believed it, and that's it. Now, I want to tell you some great news. You are told a lie. And your parents, or whoever it was who did it to you, were mistaken. It wasn't that they were being wicked. It was just that they probably were telling you what they had learned, and they had been misled into thinking about themselves. What they needed, of course, was a renewed mind. A renewed mind. And a renewed mind will tell you about the faith and the things that God has given you. And it will tell you that you're created and that you're redeemed. It will tell you about your depravity, yes. But it will tell you about your dignity and it will tell you about your destiny. And I want to encourage you. If you're suffering from a low self-image because of what people have done to you, how about concentrating on a higher self-image because of what God thinks of you? If I believe that the Holy Spirit has come into my life and that one aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, guess what? I'm going to discover a new measure of discipline. The measure of faith that God has given us is going to help us have a soberly evaluated view of the self. It might even encourage us into self-denial. It might even lead us into attitudes of self-sacrifice. You say, why should I? The answer is because he has called us to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Points to ponder. Is my self-image too high or too low? And if so, how do I know? Think about it. Stuart, how can a person develop a balanced view of self? It shouldn't be too difficult to develop a balanced view of self. 
if we walk around with our eyes wide open, uh, I, I, I am fascinated uh, by the, the way that hum, human beings uh, can, can show a potential for kindness and generosity and love and love ability and in a matter of moments change almost into another person. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situations. The reality is that I, as a human being created in the image of God, have uh, the, the have been 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 invested with the ability to be God-like. Uh, but I am also fallen, according to scriptural teaching, and so. If I am created in the image of God but fallen, that doesn't mean that absolutely everything in me is utterly useless. Uh, human nature shows differently. But what it does mean is that nothing is the way it ought to be. And so realistically, I watch people and I say, there has to be an explanation somewhere. How can they be so kind and so unkind, so generous and so mean, so friendly and so full of animosity? How, how can this be? And the answer is because they're created in the image of God but fallen, and we need the redeeming work of God in our fallenness. Stuart, how does a renewed mind help a person to overcome the bad, like abuse in their past? Somebody who's had uh, some very, very difficult uh, experiences in earlier years uh, will be prone uh, to reliving those, uh, those frightening and those uh, traumatic experiences. And it's, um, it's not easy for them to handle the situations. But a renewed mind is, is certainly going to be enormously helpful in this regard. For the renewed mind understands that God is in control. And the renewed mind embraces the fact that God gives grace, not necessarily to solve all our problems, but certainly to live well in these problems. And if the bad things uh, have given us a sense of guilt and shame, the renewed mind understands what forgiveness is all about. So the renewed mind is going to make all the difference in the world. Before we go, remember that when you give this month to keep telling the truth broadcasts like this one going out around the world, we'll send you Stuart Briscoe's six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World, to help you understand how God's Spirit works in you to transform you and renew your thoughts, no matter your circumstances. So call now to give and remember to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World with our thanks. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Tomorrow, Stuart looks again at how we can think clearly in a messed up world and specifically how we can think clearly about the church. That's next time here on Telling the Truth with Stuart and Jill Briscoe. Thanks for listening.